0: Um, we're in this series about whole life worship. I, I'll give a brief plug for these study guides. There are study guides at the back. If we've run out, I can print more. Um, we're, doing it, we're doing it for a few reasons. One was because it, I thought the material was quite good. Another was that churches talk about worship a fair bit. Oh, he's going to turn off the battery. Uh, um, and often churches fight about worship, which seems a bit odd to me. Surely this should be a uniting thing rather than a dividing thing. But somehow or another, sometimes it isn't. We do it because... Um, so I wanted to do a series that I thought wouldn't be divisive, but would help us talk about it without getting um, into little sub-bits. And, and today's, today's topic is very much about our speech, Our language. Because we know that our words can do wonders and our words can do damage. Um, I've always really liked that phrase. You know, when someone stops and they say, did I say that out loud? Usually after they've said something that's just shocking. How could you possibly have said that? What we say builds bridges or destroys them, makes connections. We can express truth. We can. There's all sorts of things that happen with our language. And so one of the things we did this morning is we, we started by singing a creed which reminded us some of the basics of Christian faith. Let's watch a vid. Forgive us, Lord, for the words we speak that cause fear. Exclude others. Twist the truth diminish, divide, and destroy. Words that roar, words that clang like symbols but bring no clarity. Words that make us sound powerful but are void of love. Teach us your words of healing and hope, thankfulness and grace, justice and truth, wisdom and love, forgiveness and blessing. Let our words be your words. Touch our mouths with your coal and purify our speech. Teach us a new language when we are gathered. When we are scattered, let our language breathe heaven into the lives of those we meet. Teach us new language when we are gathered so that when scattered we may speak in that language to others. That's talking about the words that we use. Now, some of you may be feeling frustrated at this stage to say, well, come on, you called this whole life worship. When are we going to talk about songs? Um, And how we take communion and hymns and choruses. And and we haven't been talking about that because our worship is not confined to songs and prayers. It's our whole lives. I remember hearing a musician say once that um, that person thought the worst thing the music industry could have ever done is call a genre of music worship. Because it makes it sound as if that is worship and other things aren't. And look, I get why they do and um, I don't want to call things church music. That's really inspiring doesn't it? Um, Service music? Yeah, nah. That doesn't work. But worship is about all of our life. And so songs is part of it, but not all of it. So what the series we're in asks us to do is to spend some time with James, the book of James. And many of you will know, if you ever set out to try and memorize James, that very quickly he starts talking about what happens with our words. James is really concerned about our words. Before we get to James, so was Jesus. Jesus had this thing. He reckoned that what we say tends to flow out of our heart. The good person out of the good treasure of the heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For it is out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. And then he went on to tell a story about how you have to act on your words as well. Okay, so let's just check here. Who here would think of themselves as a good person? Who here would think of themselves as an evil person? Who here would think that they're definitely somewhere on the scale? You know, everyone's on the spectrum, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's one of the things this tells us is pay attention to the words that um, other people are speaking, but also that we speak. They often tell us about something that is going on inside. Um, Particularly, there are some of us uh, who sometimes we don't, you know, you ask how are we and we actually don't know. You have to kind of stop and go, Oh, actually, how am I? Because we're so busy. But what comes out is a reflection of what's going on inside. In Proverbs, there's this fascinating line. I really like this line. The heart of the righteous weighs its answers, but the mouth of the wicked gushes evil. I quite like that because... You'd think the heart of the righteous wouldn't need to weigh its answers because the heart of the righteous would just get, get, just get it right. Yep, we'd just have good stuff to say. But actually weighing your answers is kind of going, hold on, before I say that, is that going to be helpful? Is that going to be good? It's kind of the pause to say, should I say this? Will they listen? Is it true? Is it loving? I've been really struck by that line that Paul uses in Galatians 5.6. Where he says the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So God challenges us to pay attention to our words, because they tell us what's going on deep inside of us, because they can do wonders, but they can also do horrors. Now, if you've got a Bible handy, open it up to chapter the book of James, and we're looking at chapter five. Because James is really interested in words. Now, the way that this is put. We're going to read some of it, um, but I'm asking you just to pay attention to what's said, but also be thinking about what kind of a community would look like if it was acting like this. So zooming back a bit. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. Them up, my apologies. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. James includes everyone. People in trouble, we need to pray. People who are rejoicing, let's praise. People who are sick, people who need forgiveness, because when we gather, we are what we are. Mixed bags. One person has just found out they've been promoted, and they're exulting. Another person has just found out they have cancer we gather, one person feels trapped in the same old, same old, nothing is ever going to change. The other person is overwhelmed, has just moved house, changed job, and cannot cope with the rate of change. When we gather, we are what we are. And James seems to say, well, roll with it. Because our gathered worship is supposed to reflect all the seasons of life. Which is why Paul writes in Romans 12, 15, and says, rejoice with those who rejoice, which is kind of what we're trying to do a bit in that family time. But then he also says, mourn with those who mourn, although it doesn't really tell us how to do that with more than 100 people. What that kind of means in terms of our words is that sometimes we have to be sensitive about the songs we choose. In a bit, we're going to sing the song which has a refrain, he will never let you down, which is a fantastic sentiment. It's really, really good. I wish it had a little more wiggle room in it, personally. Because sometimes it can feel as if God does let you down. Because you hope for something and that's not what you get. And yet behind that, we know that what God has for us is better than we can dream. God's plans are good. And yet it can feel like. And in church, I've watched... um, Sometimes churches lie by default by what they don't say. You can be in a church and feel like, I, I, I feel this, but I can't say it. I can't express this part of my life. Well, it turns out the Bible's a lot less prudish than that. In times gone past, um, quite a lot of famous Christians have said, really, um, so C.S. Lewis, Bonhoeffer, Brueggemann, going all the way back to Augustine, said, we should all be reading Psalms. We should read psalms, not because they'll always make sense to us. Sometimes you read a psalm and you think, "Okay, can we move on? It's like, I don't know what planet they're on. They reckon we should read them because they reckon they teach us the language of prayer. And one thing about psalms is that they are brutally honest. They don't slap a smile on your face and say, it's all good when life is sucky. They just pour out their anguish. And by the way, somewhere between a fourth and a third of the psalms are what they call psalms of complaint. The writers of the Psalms just put it all out there, all the seasons of life. I um, used to work with recovering addicts. Boy, they loved some of the Psalms. How about this? I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Psalms dumps it all out there. You can read the daily uh, paper and join with the psalmist and say, well, do rulers speak justly? What do you reckon? The psalmist was asking it way before us. I'm not saying they're always accessible. I actually think they teach us some language, but they also ask us some honesty. So I thought I'd try a little exercise with you. I'm going to put up five phrases. They're not specifically from Psalms. A couple of them aren't kind of related. And I'm just asking you to see for each one of the phrases, does this spark anything for you? So it may be that mentally you have a little conversation with God about that phrase, or it might just leave you blank. But I'm just wondering if one might stick out to you. So the first one, obviously, is hallelujah, but I'm not going to comment on all of them. I'm just going to hope that every 15 seconds they change. So I'm hoping that while that was looping, and it's going to keep looping a little bit longer, one of them kind of sparked for you. there's a, an, a, a definition of worship that I've always loved which says worship is all that we are, responding to all that God is and that all that we are is all that we are not just the bits we like, all that we are responding to all that God is I've written those um, five phrases out there's two tables over here Um, and in our later time of um, gathered worship if you want to there's post-its you could come up and write a prayer and put it on the one that you thought yeah that's actually for me but what I want us to know is that when we talk about gathered worship at least as far as James is concerned it's, you're sick, get someone to pray with you. You're rejoicing, let's rejoice. It's the works burger, all of it, because we bring all that we are to God. That does raise challenges for us, because sometimes in church we don't want it to be all that we are. We want to look good. <laughs> and sometimes the bits that we are, we have no answers for. But still, that's what you bring to God, who you are because God loves you First. Second thing you can notice from chapter five of James is that James is quite concerned that everybody is included. Now you can read a bit wider than this because in James one, he starts talking about the believers who are in humble circumstances, that is those who aren't that well off. And he's trying to address a gap between the rich and poor. So he says believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position hey, what? But the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wildflower. What's he doing there? A deliberate kind of opposite, saying don't get so impressed with yourself because you're rich. And then in James 2, he has this thing where he talks about not showing favoritism. And in fact, if you... If someone comes in and they're dressed just like you and they're they're loaded and you treat them really nicely and then you treat somebody else who comes out different to you, you got this wrong because Jesus doesn't play favourites. Everyone is included. And there is a sense that people are dependent not just on God but on each other. So they pray for each other, they rejoice with each other, they confess their failures to each other. Our words are part of how we do this by what we say and don't say. So what does that look like? How would it look like if we were that? Well, this is my theory and I could be wrong. I reckon. I, wonder, I often wonder why do we sing a lot in churches? Because we do sing a lot in churches. What's that about? And I think that some of it has to do with the fact that in the West we're raised as individuals. You're told to focus, we're taught to focus on ourselves and our needs, and me. me it's, it's about me. But when we're singing songs, we're trying to be more than an individual. They say, um, the people who design churches say, it's really important that we can hear ourselves sing, hear the voices singing, so that we're part of something bigger than us. I reckon when we sing together, we're practicing not being individuals, which is a lot easier for those of us who love singing than those who don't. And if you're not musical, look, thank you for your patience. Genuinely, you don't have to become like everyone else. But can we be more than just an individual? Is there a way you can join in? You could say the words. You could watch somebody else who's really enjoying it and go, actually, that's going to be part of my worship is appreciating that because you're part of us. Um, The lie in consumerism says it's all about you and you get what you want and we come to services thinking I need to get what I want for this to work. But actually, if we're part of a whole, that's not it. There's an exchanging going on. We're trying to become more than just individuals. And yes, singing is not just about... It's about more than our head. Sermons are very often about this. But actually, it's about your heart. And it uses our voices and our bodies. Now, I will acknowledge... Now, this is a chart I put up a few weeks ago. This is a chart that is, comes from a... Um, comes out of the vineyard movement of churches about how a template for running a service, they start with high-tempo loud music early up. Get your, get your heart moving. Get your, um, they have these songs of invitation and engagement. They have a time of a, a, a exaltation. And their aim is to get to a place of intimacy where you feel like, yes, I'm with God. Yep. And then the preaching starts. <clears throat> it's a model And what they've tried to do here is make it conscious. I think since I've been here, we've probably done less of this, would be my guess. Sorry, I was not consciously trying to not do a model. But I'll confess that I want us to be in a place where we do share, where we have something for each other. Where actually gifts of the spirit are exercised. You have something to share for someone else. And actually, I love the sense of intimacy that people can have, but I'm a bit suspicious of something that requires us to do this formula to get there, personally. Um, so, I'll just take a couple of side stories. When I was in Invercargill, we had this night service that worked very much like this. Um, it was loud music, it was dark services, it was. Uh, And um, we felt like we need to have opportunities for people to respond to God. We had altar calls, and one of the things I noticed is that people didn't seem to like altar calls much. I went and talked to some people about it. You know what they didn't like? They didn't like being seen. They wanted to respond to God, but they didn't want everyone to think, "Ah, Jill's responding to God. Something must have been going on in Jill's life." Sorry to pick on you, Jill. (laughs) They didn't want that. And so we kept exploring, and what, I, what we discovered is actually if we made a gap and we said, kept it dark, and we said, pray for one another, people responded because there was less focus on the front. Then I had a funny thing happen to me. I went away to a very charismatic retreat up in Hamna. And at the time, you, you know, I was on crutches because I'd had that accident. So it was going to one of these things, and it's like I've got this neon sign that says, here is your cripple, pray for this man to get him well. <laughs> well, that's how I felt. Um, and I really didn't, I was pretty tired, I didn't want the attention on me. So I sat there and said to God, you know, okay, if you want me to go forward, I'll go forward. That's, you know, I'm, I'm fine with that. But if you don't ask me to, I won't. Okay, and I sat there. And I prayed and waited, and then eventually some... Body came over they kind of wafted over to me they put their hand on my shoulder and they swayed and I sat there thinking oh well I guess you're praying for me that's kind of nice I suppose well that's good yep are you gonna tell me about what you're doing are you gonna say hi are we gonna have any social engagement well they kind of wafted they swayed for a bit and I sat there going well you know God Got stuff to do? Do it, that's great. And then they waft it off. I'd love to have us regularly praying for each other. I'd love for us to be a community where there's something going in your life. The transition from, hey, can we bring that to God? Can we pray? I'd love that to be easy, but I really want it to be with relationship as well there's a case, there's a place for the anonymous faceless thing, but if we want to be real community, we need it to happen in our lives. And I've got news for you, no minister can ever stop that. That's actually up to us. It's genuinely up to us. I personally think that when we meet together it's not about coming and hearing great, inspiring sermon, which is a relief because sometimes I know they're neither great nor inspiring. It's about more than that we are reminding ourselves of God's way of living we are practicing being part of a whole so actually genuinely Malcolm and Wendy in Chiang Mai teaching this course they're part of us so we remind ourselves and we pray for us and we sing creed songs to remind ourselves of God's story and somebody is sick let's pray with them somebody is rejoicing, let's rejoice in them. In 1 Corinthians 14, there's this line that Paul uses when he says, when you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation or a tongue. And we tend to interpret this as something that should happen through the mic at a public occasion. And I think, really? Actually, mostly they met in homes. That might mean you come here, there's someone to this morning that you might have something really key to say to or a really key moment to listen to them. That can't all be in this. It can't all be with the stage. It, which is why I've got this big thing about having tea and coffee and not rushing off, because it happens there as well. But I will acknowledge, look, I do think that one of my influences is I'm not a great pusher for everything happening at the front. And if you feel like you're missing that, I think there's reasons to miss that. Um, And quite deliberately, we're have got doing this message now so that we can have a time of sung worship and there's some space. And if you would love someone to pray with you, we'd love that. And if you'd like to write a prayer on either of these things, we'd love that too. And when we come to tea and coffee, we'd love for you, if you're with someone that you are close to, or if you're just itching, it's been a tough week, could somebody please pray with me? Just have the guts and ask. If they don't know what to do, they'll come and get someone who does. Yep, come and ask someone. Dave, you look like you might not know what to do. Would you come and join me? I'll bet you that people won't say no to that. And we should do this because James does the funniest of things in the next part of it. here. He tells a story of Elijah. He says, Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and, if it, and it did not rain in the land for three and a half years. then again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. And I don't know about you, but you read this and you go, what? What are you thinking, James? Because we don't have the whole Jewish context mindset. That's what, this is one of the heroes, Elijah. What he's saying is that our words to God, our worship, the flow, our response to God does change things and in the case of elijah he starts off by telling a king king ahab mate it's not going to rain and it doesn't and then elijah lives it goes it on his own for a little while the way we tend to and then you know what he ends up in a state of community staying at a poor widow's house and the widow and the son get paid you get this picture of the church community james is saying our words really matter they shape us, and what we say to God, God hears and responds and can act. So, summary of this is, our worship, when we are together, kind of needs to include all the seasons of life. Seems that's how James it. Everyone gets included, especially people not just like me. Which means, please, if you're coming just thinking, I need to get I, 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 can you just a little bit wider... God who needs. And our words to God do change things. So I'm going to ask the team to come up. We're going to move into that. But I'm going to lead us through um, a reflection on the Lord's Prayer. Yep, 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 come, 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 come. come, Because then I'm going to pass over to Jill. And as I say, um, we don't have strong agendas here. There's some songs and some space. But I thought I'd lead us through the Lord's Prayer because, again, our language shapes us. I'd like you to read with me the white text. Though if you've got a different version of the Lord's Prayer you prefer, I'm fine with that. And I'm just going to read a little bit of extra. So would you join with me? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We give you the glory as Lord over every part of our life. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. May your kingdom come in our workplaces and our homes. May your will be done in the places where we live our lives, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. You are our true provider. Brief pause. Don't forget there is some daily bread <laughs> at the back of the church. Remind us of this as we work, cook, care, and share. And forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. We confess our everyday mistakes and failures. Help us to act towards the people we meet on our front lines in the same gracious way you act towards us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Guide us, Holy Spirit, in the places we find ourselves to walk in your ways and act in your will. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours. This is all about you. We submit our front lines, our ambitions, our lives to your will as offerings of worship. Now and forever. Amen. Thanks, Joe.